The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Justin Curtis. It's good to be with you. I serve as one of the pastors here uh, at Coram Deo, and I was uh, doing the math recently, and next month will be my 15th year serving on staff here at Coram Deo. And surprisingly enough, even after 15 years, some of us still need the comfort of a really nice pulpit to preach from up here. So... We dusted this guy off, and we're going to give it a shot. How about that? As Dusty said, one of the rhythms we have here at Coram Deo throughout the summer is that we preach through the Psalms, one at a time. And you may be asking the question, why the Psalms? Trumper Longman, who's a biblical scholar, uh, says this. He says, Psalms inform our intellect, arouse our emotions, direct our wills, and stimulate our imaginations. When we read the Psalms with faith... We come away changed, not simply informed. Dane Ortland, uh, who wrote this great devotional on the Psalms entitled, In the Lord I Take Refuge, which we have available at the resource table out there if you're interested in a summer devotional. He says this, the Psalms are uniquely suited to foster communion with God. The Psalms give voice to our hearts. The wide range of a human feeling is here given concrete expression. We are given language to address God with thanks and praise, but also with our feelings of desolation or despair or overwhelming guilt because of our sin. Simply put, God's people need the Psalms to show us how to relate to God, particularly in difficult situations when we need language for how to pray through our doubts and our fears and our anger, even as well as at times our praise. And if we are going to be a people who abide in Christ 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, not just when things are going well, but even when things are a bit of a struggle, the Psalms give us language and show us how to do that. 
So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Psalm 43. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat underneath you, and it's going to be on page 439. Uh, One scholar observes that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 go together. Many people say, but he says specifically, while each of this pair of psalms can be sung by itself, they are in fact two parts of a single close-knit poem, one of the most sadly beautiful in the Psalter. So Psalm 42 and 43 are considered individual laments. And if you were here at the end of last summer, Mike Kresnick preached Psalm 42 and did a fantastic job highlighting the reality of spiritual discouragement. Now, as we turn our attention to Psalm 43, what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, the virtue of resiliency, the virtue of resiliency. Speaking of resiliency, my wife and I have five children. Uh, Our oldest, uh, Naya, is 15, Leah is 14, Jude is 12, Joel is 10, and Joy is eight years old. Uh, Dusty up here at the call to worship mentioned summer baseball. I brought a picture from yesterday afternoon of uh, Jude and Joel uh, finishing up their games. Uh, Been playing a lot of baseball. Jude's team is 17 and 1 on the year. Joel's team is 16 and 1 on the year. And as a father, I'm a bit frustrated. Not because they're both just one win away from like creating this summer of glory, but in all honesty, because they're just not losing enough. And you know that to be true, right? If you're a parent or if you've been through youth sports, you realize that really the primary goal there is not necessarily to win championships, although that's nice, but really to form character. And sports teach young athletes how to handle adversity. Sports, like life, can be unpredictable. A bad call doesn't go your way. A game you were supposed to win slips through your fingers, or perhaps you're playing like the team and you give it your best effort, but you come up just a little bit short. Losing creates opportunities to learn how to deal with difficult situations and cultivate resiliency. Now, to define resiliency, I want want to frame it out this way. Resiliency is the capacity to bounce back from difficult situations with thick skin and a soft heart. I wonder if you've learned the virtue of resiliency. Would those closest to you who've watched your life identify you as a resilient person? Or perhaps you've been through so much uh, that you've kind of gritted through and and have this, this idea of resiliency, but it's more marked with Uh, thick skin and a hard heart or a calloused heart. See, resiliency is the capacity to bounce back from difficult situations with thick skin and a soft heart. And there's two questions that I want to consider together this morning as we look at Psalm 43. Okay, the first one is this, why do we need resiliency? And two, how do we get resiliency? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? So let's take a look. How do we Or why do we need resiliency? Uh, The great heavyweight boxer, Mike Tyson, once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) The psalmist who wrote Psalm 42 and 43 has been punched in the mouth. 
Uh, Look back even at Psalm 42 in verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Or even Psalm 42 verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? And then Psalm 43, picking up at verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. The taunting question that we see in Psalm 42 that sets up Psalm 43 is this, where is your God? And that question gives us insight into the context of this psalm. Uh, The psalmist's enemies... We're called an ungodly people, deceitful and unjust. It's likely that this psalm was written while God's people were in exile at the mercy of a surrounding nation, and they were longing to return home. So you can just picture, the psalmist has been displaced from his home, likely lost most of his earthly possessions, and is being verbally harassed by his oppressors. And these challenges, these difficulties that this psalmist is facing has him existentially calling into question the goodness and faithfulness of God. Look back down at verse 2 of Psalm 43, where he says, For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? And I wonder if many of you have asked that very same question of God. Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You see, the current oppression and injustice seems more real than God's presence and God's acceptance. So why do we need resiliency? Life is hard. Life is disorienting. Life is full of challenges. Everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And when you get hit in the mouth, right, you become weary, you become tired, you become exhausted. And when that happens, it's just so easy for us to want to just choose the cold drink and the soft pillow and just lay down on the couch and just scroll the time away rather than facing the very challenges that are in front of us. I don't know if you've been there. I have. About a year ago, to this date, I was in a very similar spot. For months, I had been saying that I was tired, uh, even saying, I think I just need like a long weekend to kind of recharge. But the reality is is that neither one of those things was doing the trick. Uh, My plate was full at work. We were in the middle of some staff transitions, uh, and I was overextending myself in a number of areas just to kind of sure things up. The way I operate is I'm kind of the jack of all trades, master of none. So I'm not excellent in, every, in anything, but I can kind of do most things. Um, and, and I was kind of serving in a number of different areas as our team was kind of going through some transit transitions. And uh, I was tired. Like I was, I was vocationally tired. Uh, additionally, you can just, you can imagine, right? You've all, most of you in gospel community, you've been in Christian community as a pastor, Uh, there are always just a number of interpersonal, relational things going on within the context of the church. But a year ago, around this time, there were some that were getting really close to home. And for me as an introvert, 
um, when I feel relationally tapped out, I just, I just want to check out. Uh, I had been experiencing vocational weariness, but I was also experiencing just relational weariness. And then in addition to that, there was a whole other level of just physical weariness. Uh, my wife, leading up to about that point, had been suffering with chronic illness for about 18 months. Now, praise God, she's doing much better right now. But a year ago at this time, just the idea of raising her arms above her shoulders, uh, opening up a can of anything, um, even the idea of ascending the stairs at night to put the kids to bed uh, was hard. And there were a number of nights where uh, the kids would basically tuck her in before they went to bed. And if you've, if you've experienced chronic pain, you know the physical weariness of that. But also, if you've been a spouse or a caretaker of somebody who's going through that, you know that there's a physical weariness that you take on yourself as well. So I was experiencing this vocational, relational, physical weariness. And to be honest with you, I was not super happy with how I was responding. Uh, this idea of resiliency has been on my mind for over a year because I, I wasn't happy with the way that I responded when things got difficult. And I'm sure many of you can relate. Like, I, I know the room well enough to know that in this room is represented job losses, uh, relational betrayals, um, untimely deaths of loved ones. Life is hard. Why do we need resiliency? Because none of us really wants to be the type of person that when the going gets tough, you just check out. We want to be the type of people who make it through troubles, who can make it to the other side of a difficulty, a, a tough circumstance with thick skin and a soft heart. And that takes us to the whole second question, right? How do we get this type of resiliency? How do we become a resilient people? Well, if you were to go like I did much of last year to YouTube or TikTok, uh, what you would find is that most uh, influencers today want to convince you that the way to become resilient is to look within yourself, right? You got to find this inner strength. When things get tough, you must get tougher. You need to look within in yourself to find the strength to overcome obstacles. You need to become the type of person who just gets used to doing hard things so when hard things come, you're ready for it. And that sounds great to a point. Like if you're the uh, type A person who loves to climb the mountain, who is achievement-oriented, I can do anything I set my mind to, man, this can sound like, yes, we just need to look within to find this resiliency. Um, Jocko Willink, uh, who is a, an influencer, kind of a motivational speaker, he was a former Navy SEAL, uh, great to listen to before you're going on a long run or doing a workout. Um, he has this practice of saying, hey, when things get difficult, say good. For example, didn't get the job you wanted? Good. Time to go find a better one. Got passed over for that promotion? Good. Time to work harder and prove myself. Fell off your mountain bike and broke your pelvis? Good. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Sometimes you need to slow down to get a little stronger. Am I right? Hey, and, and honestly, that, that sounds inspirational. It sounds good, right? Like, man, just positive thinking. But there's a ceiling to this. Been exiled out of your nation by a conquering enemy? Good. Being taunted and maligned by an unjust oppressor? Good. Being betrayed by someone you committed your life to? Suffering yet another miscarriage? See, some of the things that we see out there, although it sound intriguing, don't actually have the capacity to do what we need. And the first thing that we need to see is that true biblical resiliency is not fueled from within. It's fueled by God and the gospel. And if we are going to become the type of people who cultivate this type of resiliency, we need to make the same turn that the psalmist did as he turned out of Psalm 42 and into Psalm 43. Because if you were to go back and look at Psalm 42, what you're going to see is there's a lot of internal processing, a lot of talking to my own soul, and then this pivot into Psalm 43, he goes vertical, and he begins to talk to God and address God. And what we see the psalmist do, which is important when it comes to cultivating resiliency, is he cries out to God in honest prayer. Honest prayer. Again, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Derek Kidner says the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to his understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. And Psalm 43 starts as a cry of desperation. And it's here in the Bible to show you that God is not offended by your desperation. God is big enough to handle your pain and your anger and your confusion. God wants your honest expression because he wants intimacy with you and he understands your desperate heart and he wants you to come to him and to trust him and to hope in him and to find refuge in him. For me, a year ago, this was key to me experiencing any sort of renewal in my own soul. The ability to Stop minimizing and marginalizing the difficulties that I was facing, but then to begin to put names to them specifically was super helpful. And I think we all have this tendency when things get challenging to want to minimize, want to marginalize. It's not a big deal. We're not going to worry about it. And it does not work. We actually need to be able to look at it and name it. And I had some good enough friends in my life who were able to hear me beginning to start naming some of those things who then encouraged me to take them to God in prayer. Because the reality is, is there is a distinct difference between being honest and being honest with God. Right? Honesty can come out horizontally. Being honest with God has a vertical orientation. One, one feels at times can look a little bit like complaining. The other one looks and feels like biblical lament. And God's grace 
meets you when you come to him and acknowledge with, with honesty through prayer the troubles and the things that you're facing. It means addressing him in prayer the way that the psalmist does. And I honestly long for us to be the type of people who love one another well enough that when we hear people beginning to name the, the different types of weariness and exhaustion and challenges that are out there, that we can encourage them to take that honesty before God in prayer, to actually go to the one who can be a refuge, who can renew the soul, who can strengthen the inner being. So let me just ask you, because I know I had to face this myself, what's keeping you from being honest about life's difficulties and challenges? Why are you at times wanting to minimize and marginalize the hardships that you're facing? They won't disappear and they don't just get better. What do you need to name this morning? God wants to invite honesty in prayer. And as we continue through this psalm, we see that this honest prayer leads to humble worship. We see this in verses 3 and 4, where the psalmist says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. If I had a pen or a highlighter, I'd mark that in your Bible. These themes of light and truth are like two really thick threads that weave all throughout the story of God. Like if you hearken all the way back to creation, you see that the world that God created was good and true and beautiful. And God said, let there be light, and that light was good. And you see God's presence, the fullness of God's presence within scriptures is, is so often correlated with light and truth. And yet, we see as the story of the Bible unfolds, darkness replaces light and deceit dislodges the truth. You see, friends, we were made for a world filled with the presence and fullness of God. We were not made to live in darkness and disillusionment. And yet that's so often what it feels like when we face challenges and hardships, trials and difficulties, darkness and disillusionment. We were not made for a life filled with pain and sadness, sin and suffering, darkness and deceit. And yet because of our rebellion against God, here's where we find ourselves. See, what humility looks like when we find ourselves in that place is, to, is the ability to forego our attempts to feel around our way in the darkness, trying to make it on our own. What humility looks like in a moment like this is, oh God, my God, send out your light, send out your truth, let them lead me to your holy hill. Let them lead me into your presence. Let them lead me to worship. Friends, in addition to honest prayer, 
humble worship is both the path to and the product of resiliency. Worship will walk you on the path of resiliency, but the byproduct, what we're longing for as we become a resilient people is just this free expression of worship before God. We become a resilient people through worship, which this may sound like a really hot take from a pastor, but I'm going to deliver it anyways. You going to church matters. You being in the room matters. You being with one another matters. You showing up even when everything in you and around you does not want to, it matters. We all can acknowledge it is so much easier to come to church when things are going well. When you feel like you have the wind at your back, right? When things are kind of going your way. You know when it's hard to get in here? When you're weary? When you're overwhelmed? When you're sad, angry, perhaps feel like God's rejected you? Then it's hard, but it matters. Being here, worshiping God, confessing your sin, professing your faith, remembering the hope of the gospel, even when you don't want to be, especially when you don't want to be, matters. How do we become a resilient people? How do we get this resiliency? It's going to involve honesty with God. It's going to involve humble worship. And then finally in verse 5, hope. Hope in God. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The great 20th century preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones reflected on this passage and he said this, it's a bit of an extended quote, he said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring you back to the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been repressing him and crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The psalm guides us into learning how to talk to ourselves, how to proclaim what is true about God to ourselves as a means of becoming a resilient people. This is not self-help talk. This is not mere positive thinking. This is not just coming up with a list of things that are going well in your life with the hope that they outweigh the things that are going poorly. This is hope in God. And the reality is, is that when you are facing challenges, when you are facing difficulties, you are searching for hope. We are hope seekers in that moment. Work's not going well, I'm going to hope in my relationships. Relationships aren't going well, I'm going to hope in my physical body. Whatever it is, we're looking for something. The only thing that actually has the capacity 
to take you and carry you forward into a promised future is putting your hope in God. The psalmist is calling his own soul to believe the truth and rest in it. And friends, I've got good news for you. You have a greater hope than this psalmist ever had. You have better news to be able to preach to yourself in this moment and in this time in history. The psalmist's hope was in the promises of God, which was found in his word, which are good and true and sure. And for the Christian on this side of the cross, we surely still have the promises of God. But in addition to that, we have the person of God in Jesus Christ. You see, God did send forth his light and his truth. And he did so through the person of Jesus Christ to push back darkness and to silence the deceiver. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the fulfillment of this longing for God's light and God's truth to break into this moment. And when you look at the life of Jesus, you will see that he was the most resilient human being that ever walked on the face of this earth. The scriptures tell us that he was oppressed and afflicted, but not crushed. He was despised and rejected, but not defeated. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but not despairing. He was struck down and not destroyed. Which means whatever it is that you're facing, Jesus knows what you're going through. And that's beyond just a surface level acknowledgement of the facts, all-knowing sense. But this is the reality that Jesus himself faced the most grievous of circumstances, endured the greatest sorrows, faced profound sadness, which means when you're facing trials and difficulties in your life, Jesus not only knows, but he's able to care for you. Jesus lived with thick skin and a soft heart so that he could be your refuge, so that he could be your salvation, so that he could be your hope, so that he could be your exceeding joy, so that he could be your God in times of despair. In Jesus, we can be assured that God will never reject us. And that's better news than the psalmist ever had. Hear this, friends. If we walk out of here this morning with anything on our mind, I want it to be this. That in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christians can be the most resilient people in the world. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christians can be the most resilient people in the world. True resiliency is a byproduct of the gospel. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, um, I've been listening to a number of things that he had said, and he had given an interview about three years ago now in 2020. And he was asked the question, uh, what, is, what is our hope for the future, for the people who are despairing, who are weary, what's the hope for the future? And he said this, he said, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, like if he really got up and walked out, and if he was really seen by hundreds of people and talked to them, 
then everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. The hope of the gospel gives the Christians the capacity to bounce back from difficult circumstances with thick skin and a soft heart. And as one of your pastors, I long for us to be a people who are marked by a spirit of resiliency. Not a people who give in at the first sign of adversity and hardship. And not the type of people who walk through and grind their way through life with thick skin but a hardened and calloused heart. But people who really embody true biblical resiliency. One of my favorite characters in the Chronicles of Narnia is King Loon. And if you know me, you knew I had a reference Chronicles of Narnia. So here it is. You're welcome. He's a leader in my mind who truly embodies resiliency. He's a man who has faced a number of challenges, including the death of his wife. Uh, his son was kidnapped. He's had to defend his land from evil adversaries. He describes what it looks like to be a resilient leader this way. For this is what it means to be a king to be the first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. When things get tough, first one in, last one to leave, laughing the loudest. That's thick skin and a soft heart. Think of how counterintuitive and refreshing it would be to meet a community of people who embodied the spirit of resiliency. A people who can take a punch in the mouth and pray for the one who threw it. A people who can show up in times of adversity with courage and gentleness. A people who, when uncertainty emerges, they grow more attentive, not less. A people for whom, when life gets hard, they choose to lean in, not just lay down. Why do we need resiliency? Because life is hard, and we want to make it through troubles with thick skin and a soft heart. And how can we become this kind of people? By remembering that God sent forth his light and his truth in the person of Jesus Christ and by reminding ourselves to place our hope in him. Would you join me as I pray that into us as his people? Father God, we humbly come before you now in worship acknowledging that you are the God in whom we take refuge. You are our exceeding joy. You are our salvation. You are our God. Thank you for sending your light and your truth in the person of Jesus Christ. For those whom this morning feel overwhelmed by the difficulties and challenges of life, would you give them the strength that they need to be honest with you in prayer? Help them step out of the darkness and disillusionment of the moment by lifting their eyes to the person of Jesus Christ 
and give them the grace to see with crystal clear clarity the hope that we have in him. And Holy Spirit, make us a people who have the capacity to bounce back from difficult situations with thick skin and a soft heart. In other words, we're just merely asking, would you make us more like Jesus? And we pray these things in his good and beautiful name. Amen.